Hello everyone, Neil Patel here. Thank you for downloading the latest episode of the Indian Startup Show. Today I speak to Ravi Kailas and Kathy Yu. They are the authors of an amazing new book called Myth of the Entrepreneur. It's an intimate exploration of Ravi's 30-year entrepreneurial journey. So in this episode he talks about his life experiences, including having a heart attack, and he shares his observations on the misconceptions surrounding entrepreneurship and ideas for the future of value creation and much much more so please enjoy the show thank you hello ravi hello kathy thank you for coming on the indian startup show today hi neil thank you for having us super excited to be here neil awesome stuff uh please tell the listeners about this uh, fantastic new book please so the book is called the myth of the entrepreneur and it's it's called a search for true value mm-hmm. i think the premise of the book is that Uh, entrepreneurs uh, progress in a particular way or they define entrepreneurship in particular ways but uh, it's an exploration one part of my own journey to understand uh, what needs to be done beyond or what are the objectives beyond the traditional as you go along uh, your entrepreneurial journey mm-hmm. cool and what inspired you to write this book uh i i would say i'm a very private and uh, personal man i mean and uh, I've never really been over the radar but over the last few years as I did an oral history project I wanted to put together some of my memories so that my, when my children when they grow older they'll have a better idea of some of uh, my memories and some of the thoughts that went behind the design of their own lives mm-hmm. and I did that a few years ago along with Kathy at that time she was a student at Oxford she'd come down from Colombia mm-hmm. and at the end of that project it took like a few months and many hours of interviews uh, that this I mean I, I think Kathy mentioned that this is a story that we should uh, tell more widely or we should make we should convert this into a book yeah. and then maybe absolutely i mean i mean you know you know from my background i was studying philosophy had never interacted with an entrepreneur before let alone a highly successful entrepreneur from india and as i was kind of taking down ruby's story i mean it's it's a story of almost 30 years of being an active entrepreneur in india starting out with extremely uh clever business models in telecommunications in real estate uh and now in renewable energy i mean ruby's built things to an enormous scale and also innovation that i thought was very inspiring just as an entrepreneur on his own terms so that's one part of it but i think the more interesting part of it that we spent a lot of time discussing is that he really chose to make uh the purpose of his entrepreneurialism a central part of his life and a central part of his decisions i think in india today there's a lot of people who aspire to be entrepreneurs um and it's a country where you know you have almost 70% of the businesses being family controlled you still have a lot of um intergenerational wealth that's being created uh but i think that there's not a a conversation that's robust enough about what is the role of the entrepreneur in relation to greater society how can we connect with greater society because india on one hand is a place which is creating enormous scale of wealth over the next two decades but it's also a place where there's an enormous uh social welfare and social needs deficit at a major scale as well so here's an entrepreneur who has built amazing things on the commercial end but who is also really thinking about that social angle and i thought that was just really great. spectacular yeah great stuff um so you mentioned memories one of the memories is having a heart attack <laughs> yes <laughs> Well the book starts off at that point yeah. and it is a sort of an important point because it allowed it forced me to spend a few days uh, in in a hospital and to reflect 
on some of the things that I have been doing. And I was a very active entrepreneur then. I was running three companies. I thought of myself as reasonably successful. I was uh, running a marathon at the time. So I was I was pursuing many things and I thought I was doing fairly well at them. Mm-hmm. But uh, that pause made me reflect about about a little little deeper ma- meaning of value, whether what I was doing, whether how useful was it to anybody beyond me. I was trying to list down maybe 10 things that I would be proud of. And I don't think even one or two of the things from my business side of my life even made that list. Mm -hmm. So I realized that I needed to think a lot harder about how I can integrate my passion for being an entrepreneur with what is more necessary or how we can, uh, how we, how companies can also redefine their relationship with society. So it was a start of a a pause for me. I spent a few years after that uh, reflecting. And when we set up this new company, Mitra together, uh, we used some of the ideas that uh, we came across to design this new company. Awesome stuff. Um, so, so it's called the myth of the entrepreneur. You know, what, what is the main myth? What's, what's the sort of the main myth about entrepreneurship that we should know about? Yeah, that's a great question, Neil. So I think that the, the major myth we're trying to dispel is thinking about the entrepreneur as an individual versus thinking about entrepreneurship as a collective endeavor. I think there's a lot of focus nowadays on about like, you know, the founder and what is the founder's personality. We have really big, you know, founder personalities and focus on, uh, on, on, on that one individual. But I think that, you know, the main point we're trying to make in the book is that whether it's the type of legacies that we carry into our lives as individuals because of our family, our condition, our background, where we are in life, uh, all the way to, you know, all the different things that contribute to making a successful venture. uh, We shouldn't be focusing on the entrepreneur as an individual. We should really be focusing on a much broader definition of uh, it takes a village, you know, it takes a village to create value. And so when we do create that value, how do we direct it back to that village? Good stuff. And how did your entrepreneurial start journey start then? Well, for me, I've been an entrepreneur since I can remember. He's known nothing else, Neil. <laughs> I, I grew up in a very entrepreneurial family, very successful entrepreneurs. Uh, my father and his and his brothers too. Uh, but I did work for a few years for my father. But in, on, on the side, I was always building some company or the other. I think my first company I set up when I, I was seventeen or eighteen. And uh, I think one of the more interesting things is. I've, I've built companies in, in different sectors and as I try to learn about them in telecoms, in software, in financial options, in digital advertising, in infrastructure. So it's it's been an interesting journey across a very uh, diverse set of sectors too. So what, yeah. was it, what was it like working with your dad? <laughs> it was, my dad was... Any, a, any, a, any arguments? <laughs> yes, we did have <laughs> Arguments. My father was an outstanding entrepreneur. He had a great sense of uh, uh, risk-taking ability. He, he was a he was a very very tough competitor. Uh, but always working with your dad has complexities. Uh, and but but the great thing about my dad, even when I was ten years old and I was the only son in a traditional Indian family. Uh, and he was building these businesses. He said uh, uh, that I'll have to find my own life. I'll have to find my own uh, uh, own work. And he'd give me an education and none of this would be mine. So he concentrated my mind when I was very, very young. And, and that actually was one of the best thing that he could do. I mean, he did allow me to work with him. I trained with him. But after that, it gave me an enormous freedom to go and do whatever I like. Mm-hmm. And so that's how I ended up. My father was in the traditional manufacturing businesses uh, and chemical 
chemicals, etc. So I went into the telecom field. I moved away. So it was very liberating. What, what, what did you learn from your dad? Then what was the key takeaway? Uh, my dad had had a very values-based uh, approach towards doing businesses. Very strong first principles. Uh, he also always kept the family as his unit while he was uh, making decisions about about life and business. Uh, he was also highly risk-taking. Mm -hmm. uh, in a, in, and, and he um, even when he did well and he got comfortable to one stage i remember even when we would have a little apartment somewhere even a small home he would sell that he would sell the, the business that we were doing at that time and he'd sell other little assets we had and then he would go and take the next undertaking that's an enormous risk ability but he was, he was a very confident entrepreneur yeah, yeah. Um, so obviously it does an entrepreneur and you're an entrepreneur do, do you think entrepreneurs are born or made then <laughs> That's a tough question. I think it's always a combination of both. I've seen I've seen entrepreneurs who traditionally we don't expect that they are born, but uh, they have some abilities about them. Or, I mean, or you would not have expected them to be born entrepreneurs. And I would I saw I see people who have uh, strong abilities, or we think that they they will make strong entrepreneurs, but they never eventually do. So I think it's always a combination. Uh, but I also I think I mean it's a combination of circumstances, but there's also individual drive and individual sets of circumstances i think different people when they're put in different circumstances they can surprise themselves so do you, th do you think you got your drive and focus from your dad then i guess so i mean i i mean i was surrounded by a lot of very strong uh, figures who who expected a lot from themselves uh, but also i don't think i'm as driven as many of the people around me now yeah. So for a little bit of background, you know, even in the book, we cover kind of this intergenerational story. So Ravi's dad was, you know, just uh, born into a shop owner's family in Telangana in, in what was Secunderabad at the time. And it was very much uh, he took enormous risk in getting an education and putting his uh, eight, nine siblings through an education and sending them to the U.S. And so, you know, he, he took a lot of unconventional radical decisions and constantly reinvented himself. He went from having a gas station to having a sugar factory to having a distillery. And Ravi saw that entire thing and saw all of the tough decisions that needed to be made from coming from nothing at a very young age. But I think that's also why even when I watch Ravi as an entrepreneur, he has an enormous appetite for risk. Um, but and it also an enormous appetite for reinvention. You're never stuck to a domain. You're never stuck to a role. You're never stuck to a set of people um, because circumstances are always changing. And that's really important to be able to navigate. Good stuff. Let's move the story on then. Uh, so you've managed the, um, sorry, you built and managed the world's largest independent payphone company. That's right. In 1994, India came up with something called a new telecom policy. It was basically shifting gears from being a government-owned monopoly, and they invited private participation. So a few years after that, there was enormous interest in the Indian telecoms uh, business. Uh, global players came in, and uh, India had 4% penetration, which meant that out of every 100 people, only four people had access to a phone. Uh, so there was this period of growth. So with the expectation that huge growth will happen and uh, in the late 90s. So at that time, I, uh, I mean, we had limitations. I had significant limitations on capital. I just left home. I was trying to build a services business. I thought that one segment to focus on is, is the pay phones because in India with such low access, Shared access provides a lot more uh, ability for people to use the existing infrastructure. 
So we ended up building uh, a pay phone. It's called the Zip phone, mm-hmm. and uh, and we uh, our design goal at the time was let's get the best features around the world. Mm-hmm. A great. A display, a great computer-based internals, and and a great-looking phone too. And let's and let's make it competitive to the Indian marketplace. So India, the S, they were the local phone booths called STD, ISD booths, and they were about twelve thousand rupees. And the competitive international phones were about three thousand dollars or so. It was about so it was about ten times more expensive. So we ended up probably more than that. So we ended up creating a product of world-class standards. And we introduced that in India, and in and, and the approach was not traditional at that time because at that time when products were coming to more developing markets, so you take away frills from some product that was developed for a developed market or for a different set of experiences. So we built it from the ground up, the very high class product, and the innovation we made there was that we used this not to sell the product, but we franchised it. We okay. we yeah. were the, one of the first users of digital advertising uh, as an alternative. To revenue, so today on internet, on Facebook, you it, you take it for granted. But in '97, we were one of the first. We in fact had patents for uh, for creating this type of advertising. So that it was an interesting period in Bombay for me. When yeah. Really- what, what was the moment that you thought it was going to be successful then? Uh, I would. We. I think the first the first moment of success was we convinced the uh, license holder in Mumbai that was Hughes Telecommunications at the time to give us thirty thousand lines uh, to run our pair phones, and when they had only fifty thousand lines. So they pretty much bet a lot of their initial growth story on our ability to create this, and we just went to them as a customer. Mm-hmm. And now you've gone on to build three successful businesses. Would would you consider yourself a success? <laughs> well, that's a very hard metric, but uh, you constantly evolve. You know, I mean, what I thought was successful many years ago, uh, I would consider successful by some metrics today, but no longer by by other metrics. Like, for example, as we are saying, question of value. I mean, these were really interesting solutions. They were interesting problems to be solved, but I was still thinking about the elegance of the business itself, mm-hmm. but not about its relationship to society or how we can we can stretch this out over multi generations or or other such considerations. So, so have you always been motivated by money then? Is that the, is that the bottom line? Yeah. So rarely. I mean, maybe I come from a position where uh, growing up, I didn't have to worry that much. I mean, we struggled while growing up. It's not that we always had luxuries while growing up. But uh, almost every business that I've been involved in, I would say that uh, money came much later in the end and uh, even when it did come as you can see the solutions in the book we never really uh, use that as any basis to build the next one or even in fact use the money in any in any case because you mentioned service-based businesses um, what, what advice would you give our listeners then on building a service-based business I would say you need a very close understanding of your customer mm-hmm. and most service-based businesses because they're so transaction specific. They want their, their transact, they're relating to you or a company providing a service for, for one moment or for one part of their life. We need to be very careful about. To judging what that is and preparing. Like, for example, we were competing in a service-based business. 
uh, on price we still need however fancy our service was however upgraded the experience was we still had to be price competitive mm-hmm. i mean i mean most most businesses do come in saying that look i have a superior product or there's this better experience and therefore i should get this premium we in fact started driving prices down uh, even though we were coming from a place of uh, technical superiority mm-hmm. cool i i usually ask uh, entrepreneurs you know what first time founders what advice would you give to first time founders but what 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 mistakes do you see in first time founders i would say I, i i can't speak for everyone but for me looking back uh, i would say that i didn't consider uh, the larger problems more or i mean we always think that we are we're designing for the next quarter or the next two years or the next three years or the next five years but if i go back i would plan a, a lot longer i would plan my life or i'd plan these companies for far longer than i eventually did what, what are you working on right now then well we're currently building uh, this renewable energy company it's been around since about nine years it's one of india's largest renewable energy businesses we have about 2000 megawatts of operating solar and wind farms we are over 2 billion dollar asset size now uh, and uh, it's been built very uniquely again and uh, yeah that's and and in a, addition to that we're trying to build a, a business in the electric mobility space now mm-hmm. cool and uh, how how big is the team we have about 600 people in the company cool so so you must have some sort of uh, leadership advice then Uh, well i mean in a, within mitra i mean we we focus on trying to be innovative and 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 trying to i mean and and trying to i mean especially when you're working in a developing country and because you don't have many precedents so i think innovation is important that you have to try uh, different methods and sometimes these methods could be non traditional it could be a change in your finance structure it could be change in some other operating agreement that leads to significant differences in value so yeah so the even when mitra was founded it was uh, i i love this story because when you think about utility companies you don't usually think about them in terms of startups right because they're huge they require a lot of debt they require you know the government as a counterparty but the way that mitra was founded, founded it it was literally a startup power company uh when ravi raised money on the london stock exchange over 80 million dollars in in equity uh he only had two employees no assets absolutely no experience in renewables and just a plan you know and and that's that's absolutely crazy that that even happened and that in the past 9 years they've turned that plan and that capital into essentially you know a multi billion dollar asset base 600 people and also i think one thing that The Mitra team is very proud of is that it's ranked as one of the great places to work. Yeah. Um and you don't think about infrastructure companies. You always think about these great places to work as high-tech companies, you know, and I think a lot of uh there's a lot of uh precedents around how quote infrastructure companies operate in India. But when I go to Mitra, you know, and I interview and I sit with the leadership team, it, it operates so much more like like a knowledge company and I think that's that's a pretty cool innovation. Who was the other employee? <laughs> well we had a receptionist and we had a receptionist okay that's pretty much it yeah nice uh, what what were your thoughts on hiring then i mean what what do you look for you look for specialists or generalists 
Uh, it's a combination of both. We do need some some generalists, but we're certainly very very domain specific uh, specialists. But it's also the way you put together these specialists. Like for example, based on the way we were designing a renewable energy company, we brought together specialists from various different fields, which are normally not put together in in one in in a renewable energy company. So that was our innovation. But if you're looking for specialists, we're looking for people who are who have more adaptability i mean if you're i mean i would i would prefer to uh, get together a team of people where they can collaborate with other domains and find a way i mean uh, these things have not been done before and there is a need to do it and there is and you can find interesting ways to build these um, how, how big do you want to go with this just uh, reading the other day i think uber are doing the ipo today <laughs> could, could be 100 billion yeah so these things have a, uh, these things have a way of uh, taking a life of their own the indian infrastructure market itself is a 5 trillion dollar business so it's a very large pie in india most infrastructure is now being built in the private sector whether it is ports or roads or power like us so there is a very large space that we've entered so it's up to us and these things I, it's very hard to put a time number or a, or in how many years i mean we've entered the business saying that we want to be around for a while probably over generations and build assets that have this long term sort of nature but is this just for the indian market then or do you want to go worldwide with this when we started out we we could have been anywhere we are actually headquartered in london and uh, our uh, our uh, holding company is based in guernsey okay. we did look at we did look at operations in other countries we did send teams there but every time we were allocating capital the need for growth in india was so large and we did have a natural advantage there and even today there is significant room for growth but i do believe that the model that we created it was uh, that where we are saying that we want to build renewable energy with no subsidies it, 10 years ago it was radical in the west but now it is all it is more accepted knowledge mm. so i do think that there is room for us to grow but i think for the next for the foreseeable future we're going to be india based how fast are you growing then well we grew from 0 megawatts in 2010 to about 2000 megawatts so we grew from 0 to about 2 billion dollars of assets in the last 8 years that's quite that's 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 big yeah we is that, is that is that what you expected <laughs> no, not really. I mean, we. we... No, R Ravi expected even more. He reminds <laughs> me of this all the time. You know, you have to understand with Ravi, he, he didn't expect this. He expected 10x, but he'll settle, you know, for what's happening. <laughs> no, this is way beyond what we expected, but there is, I mean, there is, it's, still a, it's still a very early stage market. Uh, so there's still room for many things to change, many things to happen, and lots of growth too. What's the main quality that an entrepreneur should have then? I guess character. Uh, I, I mean, I mean, you must. I mean, the, all the normal qualities of uh, diligence, of of being innovative, all of those things. But I, I think in the end, it comes down to a character. It's it, it comes down to taking some resources, some knowledge that you have, and trying to uh, build that solution in the world. And I think the great entrepreneurs go a little bit beyond that. Mm -hmm. So, so how, how come you're based in London then? If the company's in, based in India then? I've lived in London for a long time, and it just happened that the company operations okay. at Nate was okay. the most difficult. No, no, there's more to the story than that. I okay. think you'll find Ravi's role very interesting. So Ravi's chairman of the board, but he was actively, you know, CEO of Mitra for about three years uh, before he passed it off to the current CEO Vikram. Okay. 
Uh, and, and Ravi, even when he ran his early businesses, he's always been a thinker, you know, he uh-huh. doesn't like to be in the weeds, bogged down with the details, dealing with the tasks. He wants to think on that time, <laughs> okay. 10 year time horizon. I mean, I, I went and interviewed people who worked with him at Zip when he was 25 <laughs> years old with a 200 person company and he wasn't in office, you know, most of the time and thinking and thinking about, you know, really long-term things. So I think that's his nature as an entrepreneur. I've never seen it before because nowadays you see so many stories of the really big Busy entrepreneur meetings in the bullpen, and that is not Ravi. He's peaceful True. and he's above. He stays above the fray. Because <laughs> you've mentioned risk taker quite a few times. Then I think that is an important yeah. quality because you're okay. taking a risk about some change that you have no idea whether it'll happen or not, and the conditions are right. But I, yeah, risk taking is a significant quality that's needed. A lot of people are not risk takers. You know, I mean, the, the sort of like it's stay, stay safe. Most people are not designed to be risk takers, and that's a good thing yeah. too. Good stuff. Last few questions. And what's the main takeaway you want listeners to you know, sort of get out get out of the podcast today? I think that the, that there are many ways to build value, and I think people should pause and reflect and think about and many in many different ways. Meditation is one source, but they could find different ways to reflect whether they are they, they are making those decisions correctly and that that then changes are possible even in the midlife. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that from the book, you know, Myth of the Entrepreneur, which is now available all across Indian bookstores and also on Flipkart. Um, the main reason why we put this out is it's become very uh, popular or sexy to be an entrepreneur, but we want people to hear hear from you know a seasoned entrepreneur to also say uh it's important to pause and think about what it means to be an entrepreneur what are our responsibilities as an entrepreneur we all know now what success looks like it comes with wealth with high valuation it comes with exits but what is our responsibility back to the society that's allowed us as individuals to create these things uh in turn so that's what we'd like this new generation of entrepreneurs in india i mean the entrepreneurial ecosystem in india is crazy now i don't think it's anything like what ravi was when he was starting out in 25 and trying to build a business i mean ravi raised about 30 million dollars for zip in the late 90s and that's now nowadays you see rounds like that but back then there was no ecosystem to speak of so now that there's so many more entrepreneurs uh we really want this new generation to think about on one hand you know uh, to be enabled to be empowered to get some good lessons out of it but also from the book to get to that constant reminder that we should always ask ourselves also what our responsibility is mm-hmm. it seems that you've done a lot in your life uh is there any, any specific favorite period in your life that you look back on right and say, oh, yeah, right now. Okay. This is the best period of my life. <laughs> okay. I, I mean, do you have any plans for calling it a day? You know, take, take it easy, relax, you know, have, have a walk around London. As Cathy says, she thinks I take, I mean, I, I've had, I've, I've been taking it easy for a long time, but uh, seriously, no, I don't think so. I think we're just getting started. Uh, and the, the leadership within our group is really young. They're all in their twenties and thirties and there's a long runway, I think. Uh, and even it's remarkable how much change has happened within the country and within business environment itself. And uh, even the quality of entrepreneurs that we're getting now, it's remarkable. So I'm very optimistic. Yeah. Does, does anything stress you out? then a lot of things stress me out but uh, but in the long run i mean as i said the longer your horizon is the less stressful they seem so okay. it seems there's a lot of positives about entrepreneurship is, is there anything you don't like or any anything you don't like about startups something something you want to get off your chest 
perhaps <laughs> <laughs> no i don't think there's anything i don't like i mean it comes it, this is a trade off i mean if you're taking on something risky if you're trying something that hasn't been tried before or if you're working with people that you have not really worked with before so there are trade offs Some, sometimes they don't work and it happens in other parts of life to even not being an entrepreneur but being an entrepreneur it has financial consequences and choices when people are starting out if their families etc but on the whole i mean i i i think being an entrepreneur is a wonderful way uh, but it's it's probably not right for everyone and yeah. i don't yeah yeah but one of the things that ravi and i talk a lot about is it's very lonely you yeah, know uh, with entrepreneurship it's like even if you have co-founders even if you have a great management right. team at the end of the day the buck falls on one person and there are certain things you'll never be able to express and or share whether it's with your family or the closest people to you at work not not anyone is going to share your burden and so there's a kind of core solitude and loneliness mm-hmm. that is a part of that journey yeah. but again it's a trade-off if you have the uh, if you get to do all of the creative creative stuff then you have to face the hardest decisions alone as well yeah you have to be prepared for that and that loneliness is quite intense in a way mm. hard to explain are you an introverted person then uh i guess i'm both i'm introverted in the sense that i'm happy to be by myself i draw a lot of energy mm. uh, when i'm when i don't have to be with other people but also i'm social i meet people yeah. uh, i talk to people and stuff um And obviously you've, you know you've built these three amazing companies do, do you think you've like missed out on life anything you missed out on no i don't think so i but i, I think I, even when we reflected on the mumbai years you did realize that there were you know you threw yourself into work a lot i mean with, with you with your health and family time and a lot of those things but now i think there's been a much better balance that's been achieved i did i i did i mean i did i i didn't have much of a concept of spending time on one versus the other but i don't think i missed out i think that if i had to relive my life again i'll probably do the same things and not something that i did uh, i didn't do that i have to go out there and do it but yes i would be a lot more thoughtful though Yeah, yeah but you, one thing that Ravi and I talk about all the time we're like it's not worth work life balance you know work and life are one and the same and you should involve life, people yeah. in life into your work and yes. people in your work that are important to you into your life yeah. because it's one big continuum and even when you do businesses one you know uh, there're multiple versions that might spring up multiple pivots and the failures from one might be the seeds for another so it's yeah. just one long thing yeah you, you wouldn't change anything except the heart attack <laughs> <laughs> maybe maybe I would have had it a little earlier. A little maybe earlier, okay. Thought, I would have thought about these things yeah. quicker. <laughs> Probably like 30, 31, 32, yeah. Rather yeah. than 30, yeah, yeah, okay. Um, actually, you mentioned meditation then. That, that must help you on a, yeah. on a day-to-day basis. Uh, for, our, for our listeners who want to get into meditation, you know, how, how do they get into it? Is it an app or is it a video or a book or something? I don't know. Well, it's very interesting. <laughs> this this particular form of meditation is called vipassana, mm-hmm. and this was the form of meditation that was discovered by the Buddha. Oh, it's a two thousand five hundred year old technique. Okay. So it's just a scientific technique. So you go to a place. I mean, there is a website called dhamma dot org, d h a m m a dot org. Mm-hmm. is a non-profit that runs these centers around the world and these are 10 day courses it takes at least 10 days for you to start learning it and it is completely free it's i mean you have to stay there mm-hmm. you, you get disconnected from the world in the sense that you're not allowed to you have access to phones or your newspapers or you don't talk to the others there's a lot of si- noble silence there but that those those create the conditions for you to learn meditation and i think that's one of the things that 
it's in front of us it's a solution right in front of us but people are not choosing to take the time but i think it is very useful that's a, it's an easy way for many people to get on the it. it's right it's, for my generation now you know you use headspace you use calm mm-hmm. these apps and i take that route as well but nothing beats going to like uh, concentrated yeah no nothing beats that concentrated time yeah. and it's not something that i really want to do with my phone you know <laughs> how do you define not talking to anyone <laughs> it's pretty intense yeah i mean you, it always seems uh, difficult as as a concept but once you go there you do get used to it it is intense though i do admit you didn't you didn't go mad Not at all. <laughs> And even if you are going mad, they tell you it's a good thing because it means that it's working. <laughs> okay, okay. So if you go mad, it's working. Good stuff. <laughs> And do you have any like business heroes? Any people you admire? Any people you look up to? I admire the the founder of the Tata, Jayan Tata. He's one of my greatest business heroes. And Kathy, anyone? Anyone yourself? Uh I think that one person we write about in the book is uh, Chuck Feeney. Yeah. So he was someone who created the uh, duty-free brands all across the world and oh, those right. okay. and he's uh, a very scrappy, you know, he was working in the military, he saw a need, he executed at massive scale and not only that but he put all of his wealth into a private foundation and he quietly spent down tens of billions of dollars without his name being associated with it. The only reason why people even knew he was giving away so much money was because it came out from some lawsuit one of his one of his uh, people who were who were working with him put against the company. So it's just it's just a great story of just incredible character, incredible humility and building something of incredible scale and then, you know, directing it towards good completely silently. How did you guys meet then? Yeah, that's a great story. So we met because of this oral history project, right? Oh. I was commissioned by Ravi essentially just to do this, and by the end of it I had heard such an amazing story. I was like, we can't just keep this as a private family thing. I was like, we got to make something mm-hmm. of this. This is an inspiring story. So who did most of the writing then? Did you just do the research and interviewed Ravi and then put put the words in how did how did it work the book? Yeah, the collaboration was really fun actually. I mean, we put together an entire five-person research team first of all for this book. Um got together people from different academic disciplines because the first thing like Ravi said he's very private. He wanted no personal story in in the book, just an argument about, you know, uh different models of entrepreneurship, different mm-hmm. models of uh philanthropy and how we can better, you know, combine these two things. Uh but finally after much convincing, I convinced him to have a personal touch in there. Yeah. Uh so we started doing more of the personal interviews and I wrote a lot of the prose for that, but um you know, we we worked really closely together and collaborating is just one of the best ways to get to know someone and you know, it's been really an honor that he gave me that yeah. opportunity. Is this the first book you've done then, Kathy? Yes, okay. yes it is. But it's also so interesting that there are two very clear points of view although this is this said this set in my uh, my voice but it it is me reflecting it is also Kathy who's just starting out in life she just graduated mm-hmm. yeah. looking looking out i mean a lot of these things are interesting uh, points of view yeah. i've i've got to be honest you know when you go to the bookshops there's so many books on entrepreneurship literally thousands rows and rows of books yeah. um you know why should our listeners read this book then I think that the reason why is because a lot of the stories are the same, you know, it's about how did this individual succeed and and or or how did this get built or how you can, you know, more like a like a self-help type thing. I think one thing that I love about uh Myth of the Entrepreneur is that it's really about 
a story of someone who's dealing with contradiction, someone who's quote unquote succeeded on all the external metrics of being an entrepreneur, um, but is wrestling with some more life questions. You know, this isn't a book just for people interested in entrepreneurism. I think this is a book really for people who are interested in reflecting on the meaning and the value of life, whether you're in any walk of life. And so I think that uh, that is a story that is not often told. Um, and also we touch on a lot of things about inequality, about, you know, the, the more the more uh, unsavory things of capitalism that I think you don't expect entrepreneurs to talk about so openly. And we talk about how an entrepreneur actually wrestles with the contradiction of being in the system, but also, you know, criticizing parts of the system that might not be good uh, from a social goods perspective. So I think that it's very different from, you know, any of the books that you see about, you know, how to be successful. Uh, this guy was successful or, you know, it, it's just not a story like that at all. Mm-hmm. You guys must have heard a lot of advice about entrepreneurship. Like, what, what's What's the one most overrated advice that you've heard? Uh, I remember everybody when I was growing up, they'd say, "Read all the same question like you asked. You read all these books, yeah. and then if you and then you you see what their best qualities are." So it, I think people get into this sort of loop where if you think that if you if you see how. 10 different entrepreneurs worked or what you think made them tick. And then if you try to emulate those that you may be successful, I think circumstances are very unique and there are some basic things about hard work, about innovation, etc. But I think to get caught up with somebody else's solution or set at a different time frame, uh, maybe, maybe seeking too much. So that's why in the book also, while we do talk about entrepreneurship, about some stories, but it's a really more exploratory in nature. Good stuff. Okay, last question uh, for people who want more information on the book. What must they do? Absolutely. They should go to www.searchfortruevalue.com. We have all the information about the book there. It's available on Amazon, on Flipkart. It's called The Myth of the Entrepreneur by Ravi Kailas. And uh, we would definitely love to have people write to us on our website uh, and get in contact and be a part of the conversation. If you're an entrepreneur, if you're an aspiring entrepreneur, if you're someone who wants to figure out is coming from a walk of life and want to figure out how to contribute value to society, these are all people we welcome to join our discussion. Awesome the book is actually available in the US, UK, and India now. Mm-hmm. Uh, actually, well, one last question then. What, what about coaching? Would you ever sort of get into coaching? That seems quite a, something that you'd be really good at, actually. I think Ravi's doing some informal coaching. Yeah. I don't think he's professionalized it, but in many ways, you know, like I come from a background of uh, having a very professional upbringing, first generation immigrant family. Parents both worked at big companies their whole life. And uh, I was inculcated to, to live that type of very risk averse and uh, and very linear life. Right. But in in two years, Ravi's a Kathy's an entrepreneur now. Entrepreneur. <laughs> yeah, you read the so book. I- Say he's a pretty good coach. Uh, he's just he's doing a, it on a more ad hoc basis yeah. for right now. What, what what questions do you ask him then, Kathy? What questions do I ask him? Yeah. Everything and anything. I mean, <laughs> okay. specific things, you know, about India, about hiring, about and. But I think the best conversations I have with Ravi are about perspective, because okay. I think that as you move through life, it's very easy to lose perspective. If you're inside a business, you forget about the things outside that might affect it that you're not thinking about. When you're focusing on one problem, you might not see how something else is running away from you. Uh, if you're suddenly really obsessed with, you know, getting external investment or valuation, you might forget about whether or not growth is even the right 
the right move. And I think that having someone who has had such a wide range of experiences and so much experience, it's it's really about uh, putting things into perspective and not losing perspective, which is so easy when you know you're so busy and you're engrossed in one activity. Oh, yeah, true. Wise words. Um, you've made a huge impact on business in India. I mean, how does that feel? <laughs> I'm really fortunate. I don't think, like you like you mentioned, yeah. I didn't expect to have any success the way it's measured. Mm-hmm. I mean, I just set out to do some of these things because they're really interesting and they, they, they seemed like they needed solutions and they were things that I was genuinely concerned about. Did, so I, did, did you ever doubt yourself? Oh, always. Yeah. I mean, even even now, I mean, I don't, I mean, this, this is all a question of, can this happen? Can we try this? Could Would it work? Yeah. Is there a better way to do this? I think, and even to look back and say, hey, we did this, it worked, but should we have done differently? I think, I think doubt, I, I do, I do, I do doubt myself all the time. Yeah. And I think if you read the book, one of what the early readers of the book keep coming back to us and being like, it's so humble. And that's an experience I've had with mm-hmm. Ravi. You know, I'll make rookie mistakes sometimes in my own entrepreneurialism and, and I'll call him and I'll be like, I'm so sorry I made this mistake. He'll be like, when I was your age, I didn't know 10% of what you're talking about now. So don't worry. And I think that that type of inbred humility is also very important uh, when you're facing things that are at massive scale and sometimes out of your control and, and all these things. So, yeah. Last couple of questions. Then. In, in terms of finance, then, just for our listeners, um, any advice? I mean, when, when should they start like creating balance sheets and profit and loss sheets, et cetera, et cetera? Do you have any, any thoughts on that? Those are specific to circumstances. Mm. But I think people should consider finances very early yeah. into the game. I think they should. And it doesn't mean that fi- considering finances only to write down what their known sources of capital are. Mm. If finances are a way of ir- thinking about a business or imagining about a business in a way that can drive finances. Like, for example, when we were building the phone company, at that time, if I put my finances entirely around the telephone-based revenues, my valuation, let's say, was at 7x multiple. Mm. But if it, if I was trying to build an advertising-based business, at that time it was still early, it was a 20x multiple. Mm. So I had to try to find a financing solution that create that used the telephone business as simply a platform to build an advertising business. Mm. So thinking about finance early and thinking that we have to grow this, then you find creative solutions for it too. But I think finance is a critical early early stage. Yeah, yeah. and I think nowadays, you know, in, in my generation, we see so much of these companies that seem not at all concerned with finances. It's growth at all its costs. It's mm. Blitz, Blitzkrieg, you know, Blitz growth handbook. And I think one thing that learning from Ravi and Vikram and, and things like that is that hard assets with real cash flow, at the end of the day, if you want to build something that survives beyond you and beyond your lifetime, that is a requirement, not a nice to have, not a hope to have one day. It is a basic requirement. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So, so Kathy, you've learned a lot from Ravi. R- Ravi, what, what have you learned from working with Kathy then? Oh, I, 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 I think I got the better part of this. <laughs> <laughs> because it is for me I, it's always interesting i should keep an eye out about how the world is thinking and i think kathy uh, 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 and working with other people like kathy as part of this book project in the last couple of years has opened my mind to the uh, to the absolute brilliance of this generation i think that they're hardworking, they're idealistic uh, and and they have a lot more tools uh, uh, at their disposal and they're willing to use them so i'm more than happy to work along with them i'm glad i'm on this side of the table i don't want to be fighting against them what do you think of that what do you think about that kathy 
<laughs> no, I think it's I think it's true. I mean, I mean, I always have these conversations with Ravi, and he always says I'm getting the better side of the deal. But I think the good thing is that you know uh, we call it's it's very complimentary, right? Yeah. Things that I want at this stage in life, you know, I, I, he's a good reminder, and 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 the hope and and the futurism uh, is something that I hope that I bring to his perspective. What a great great to end that interview then, uh, Kathy uh, Ravi. Thank you for coming on the show today. Thank, thank you, you very so much. much Neil. It's been awesome. Thank you very much. Thanks to Ravi and Kathy for coming on the show today. Really enjoyed it. Uh, for more information on the book, please go to www.searchfortruevalley.com. Thank you for listening and supporting the podcast. I shall be back next week. And if you're building something exciting, why not send me an email? Hello at Patelazio or tweet at Indian Startup Message. Or go to facebook.com forward slash Indian Startup Show. We'll love to get. Thank you and goodbye. <laughs>